Hey, the Boardroom International Surfboard Show coming up October 7th and 8th. The world's largest surfboard marketplace. Incredible deals on surfboards, gear, and wetsuits. Everything you need to get wet. More information can be found at boardroomshow.com. There is no doubt that what makes a great surf trip is great, uncrowded, perfect waves, incredible accommodations, and large, voluminous quantities of fabulous food. I just got all three of those things when I visited Surfing Village in the Telos Islands in Sumatra. This is the season for Indian Ocean swells, and it's pumping in Sumatra as we speak. You can get 5% off your trip to Surfing Village. You're going to want to go to surfing-village.com, surfing-village.com. Send them an email in the comments section, mention Boardroom Show, and you'll get 5% off. That's a savings of approximately $175. I had an incredible trip, such a good trip. I've already booked for next year. But right now is the season. July, August, September, prime time in the Indian Ocean. Do yourself a favor, get perfect uncrowded waves with great accommodations and unbelievable food. Surfing-village.com, 5% discount, mention Boardroom Show. Jamie Brissick is a surf journalist, a surf author. His writing has appeared in The New Yorker, The New York Times, The Surfer's Journal. He's also authored six books, including his newest book, The Birth of the Endless Summer, A Surf Odyssey. And Jamie is just a sweet human being. On this episode of The Boardroom Podcast, Jamie Brissick. Let us begin. Welcome to the uh, Boardroom Podcast, Jamie Brissick. Uh, Jamie, you've written extensively about surfing. You've also authored six books, including the newest one, The Birth of the Endless Summer, A Surf Odyssey, which we're going to talk about here this morning. But before we get to that, I don't know if I'm a voracious reader, but I like to read. I'm good for about two pages a night before I fall asleep, but um, I need a good, a great book recommendation. Do you have anything that I should read? Oh, wow. I, um, God, I read so much. I just finished reading August Blue by Deborah Levy, which is really great. Mm, What's that about? It's, uh, it's about a concert pianist, classical musician who, is looking, who's he, sort of looking for something and finds what they think is their doppelganger, uh, a double, and keeps seeing them and sort of, it's everything that sort of comes out of that. But it's, it's, it's like in the genre of literary fiction. So it's, it's, it's kind of more about the writing and the ideas than it is about the plot, I, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. No, I got it. It's a, I, what, to, what, what about what nonfiction? Do you do nonfiction? Because I'm a big nonfiction. Person. Yes. You know what I'm reading now that I'm loving is Dopamine Nation. And it's about how we, uh, how much dopamine we have squirting around in our heads, and how we are addicts to the phone and social media, etc. But it's really interesting. It kind of um, it talks about how we rewire ourselves, and we we lose our sense of discipline and restraint, and we have this sort of immediate gratification that we can't get enough of. Yeah, and I think so many of us fall into that. 
So Dopamine Nation, I'd highly recommend. All right. That sounds interesting. I'll, I'll check that out. Um, so, Jamie, um, I, I sort of um, frame you as a cultural spokesperson for surfing, um, a provocateur, perhaps. You're old enough to provide generational perspective. You're very connected to important players within the surfing space. And with that in mind, I was hoping that I would bring up some cultural touch points and get your insights on those to get the conversation going here. And you mentioned that, um, you know, we met at Kelly Slayer's Wave Pool. As I recall, we were sitting in a jacuzzi. Um, what are your thoughts on wave pools, the concept of wave pools, your experience with wave pools? Where do they fit? What is their relevance? Um, well, you know, before I plunge into that, let me let me recount your great ride, Scott, because I remember. <laughs> no, uh, uh, no, but I, but I think um, to sort of set the stage, it was early days for the wave for the surf ranch, and I think there were like two days of base of, of journalists or people who work in the surf world in the media end of things, and we got invited. And I remember, so we were there together. Matt Warshaw was there. There was a bunch of great people. It was incredibly fun. Um, yeah. And I remember we were sort of waiting for the thing to happen and you got an early wave and somehow I got on the ski for your wave so I rode along the wave with you but I remember just the excitement of being in it and I remember you tore it up I was I was super impressed um and I as I remember we had four waves each that day we had two two like time slots and one would be the left and then you'd you'd ride that wave and then you'd go you'd get taken in the jet ski to the other side and then you'd get a right and vice versa and then you'd do that later in the day so it was an entire day at the surf ranch, four waves. What I remember so much about it, on a personal note, was there was this incredible stage fright. It was sort of like, I can't mess this wave up. I drove like six hours last night to get here. Um, I'm staying in a hotel for these four waves. Like this wave, you know, constitutes 25% of my experience here at the surf ranch in terms of being in the water. That was a really odd experience for me. I don't know. I, um, I'm God. I, I I think I feel really. Uh, I'm kind of both conscious of this, but I feel really old fashioned with my surf experience. I you know, and it may be a sentimentalist thing, but it's like I grew up in the valley. I drove over the hills to get to the beach every day. It was a sort of holistic experience in the sense of the rides in the car, the stopping at the supermarket to, or the market to grab food, like all that was in it. And there's almost like a there's almost like to use a porn analogy, there's like a money shot quality to the surf ranch to me that it's, it's zeroing in on like the one thing that it's supposed to be all about. And look, it is, I mean, the waves are a big part of it. That's kind of like the, the thing we search for, but as having surfed my entire life, it's um, it is all the things that come along the way. I think like for myself, I was on the pro tour through the late eighties and the early nineties, the whole time I was chasing you know, success in competition. But when I stepped, when, once I, once I retired from pro surfing and I ended up living in Australia because I'd met a girl there and I was excited about Sydney and I wanted to be there with her. And once I got some years under my belt away from being a pro surfer, I realized it really wasn't so much about the competition and how well I did. I mean, I have vivid memories of doing the, the moments I did okay. But what I remember most was traveling around the world and being in these foreign places, which actually is apropos to the book we're going to talk about. But it was really about the travel. So I think like the idea of a, the whole thing that is interesting about surfing to me is we go and chase waves. And if you get 
passionate about surfing and you live in Southern California, you're going to, you're going to realize that there's a ring con session to be had at some point. And then you're going to realize that maybe there's like a trip to Hawaii that you got to do to feel what the North shore is. And then you hear about Jeffrey's base. So you go to South Africa and you hear about the Superbank, So you go to Australia. Um, that whole thing is so great. And I mean, the, 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 the wave pools to some degree kind of diminish that, or they take that, element out of it because the perfect wave exists and it can be it can be down the block and if if it if if everything was sort of homogenized into the, just these these wave pools it would a lot of the experience would be gone to me yeah let me ask you this if i said guess what today's your lucky day in a week i've got a spot at kelly slater's wave pool will you come with me absolutely positively <laughs> <laughs> No, um, I mean, the flip side of it is, you know, it's funny. I think about this in the times we're living in, right? There's so much, there's such a thing. And I think we live in maybe one of the epicenters in Southern California and you being in North County, I think you are. I'm yeah. in Malibu. These are like, there's so much of this sort of optimization culture where we are so conscious of what we eat and how we sleep and our exercise and this hyper healthiness. There's a level where you can do it to such an extreme where it's almost robotic. It's almost like the human element is almost gone. And I think we've got AI right now. And it's almost like I can just imagine us sort of reaching towards it. On a similar note, I think that um, the crowds have gotten so out of hand that I think if the wave, if the, if the wave pools offer a, a, a kind of relief from um, the, the brakes being so cluttered, or as you just mentioned, you and I and a few of our friends can go rent the, the, the surf ranch for the day and ride to our heart's content and go and go home knowing that we're going to be sort of surfed out and that we're not going to be hassling with crowds. That's nice. I won't say no to that. Yeah. You know, um, interestingly, I was talking on a podcast yesterday about this and somebody brought up Andrew Kidman and Andrew Kidman has a take on this that I learned yesterday. Basically he went to the surf uh, to a wave pool. I don't know which one. And his experience was that he was, he was enamored that everybody was joyful, that there wasn't this angst and this anxiety, you know, everyone was smiling, everyone was hooting and, um, and there was um, order within the lineup as far as like everyone waited their turn. And so I thought that was kind of a refreshing take from, from Andrew who, who um, I don't want to say he's a salty dog, but I would ju I just see him as kind of an old school type of character. Yes. Andrew's one of my dear friends. He gave me my first job in the surf media. I was his, he was the editor. I was his associate editor at Waves Magazine in Sydney. Um, so we're longtime friends and I love Andrew and I love all his films. And he's, he's been a great friend for many years. The, um, that is, I think, a very good point. And I think, you know, the thing that I, I hate is I think we all go, if we're, especially we're adults, we're busy, we have responsibilities, we have bills to pay, et cetera. And, and surfing is like this escape. You know, you, I feel like for me, I can go and kind of wash it all away. And when I go, when I come out of the water frustrated and when I come out of the water going, oh, it's gone to hell in a handbag and there's no respect. And there are instances where there are surf instructors kind of ushering in a new generation of surfers, but they're not taught etiquette. And I've been I've had surf instructors push their student onto a wave that I'm riding and the, the injustice of all that, I, I won't, I won't go on, but we all know that feeling. And I think, so I think that's a very good point that Andrew raises. I mean, I just, whatever can make it more fun. And, and it's, it's funny. Cause it's like the, the fun is the point 
and yet it so easily gets lost. And I live very close to Malibu First Point, which is like one of the, you know, there have been so many um, altercations in the lineup over the last few years, throughout history for that matter. Yeah. Um, but I, I get to see this thing that's meant to be a good time, but it can go bad, especially on a South Swell when, you know, it's been forecasted and everyone's sort of planning that day. Yeah, it's funny. I often think about, and especially at Malibu, the smell of California sage. Like if they could spray that into the wave pool in Lemoore, you know, that would be a pretty yes. cool. I know that's, that's I, I remember the Lemoore sort of fertilizer agricultural smell. And it didn't, it had, although I did grow up surfing Santa Clara River mouth in Ventura. And when the winds were offshore, you'd get a little bit off the field, you'd get that smell. But it felt like it had no business being in a surf experience for me. I'm used to the brine as we are, right? It's like you, we're used to the ocean smell. Okay. What about social media surfing content creators? We've got YouTube, we've got Instagram, we've got TikTok. Do you have a favorite? I'm thinking like, um, well, let me just leave it there. Do you have a favorite? What are your thoughts on social media surfing content creators? In terms of like a, a single surfer trying to sort of pedal their wares via clips of themselves or? Yeah, maybe that, maybe that, maybe. Um... You know what I think is interesting is I, for so long it, it's been, um, and I think this, this, I'm going, this is going way back, but the model was so often this, uh, you get a part in the film, right? And I like I grew up. One of the earliest films that had a G, that had a big impact when I was serious about competition surfing was The Performers by Jack McCoy, which is a movie that didn't get a lot of play because there were music licensing issues. But it was this great, great film where each surfer, this was the Quicksilver team being being port portrayed, and each surfer got basically the length of a song. It was like the song started. There was that three and a half minutes of their surfing, and then it was cut to that. So many skate videos were done that way. Now it's like it's it's in 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 parallel of our short attention span, instant gratification. It's often a wave, you know. Like you'll go to some surfers. Surfers' reputations will be built on um, a ride that they got at Backdoor that winter that they'll throw out, and then there's like wave of the winter and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. All all of it's fun. I mean, I I um I kind of like dip into all of it. I don't. It's funny because I do so much around the surf world and it's such an important part of my life, but I don't even really hold myself to like some disciplinary side to it. I, I really just let my tastes go. It's it's in, and it's almost a laziness and maybe like a boring. Are you bored? I don't know. I don't think I'm bored. I mean, I think I, I think I realize that I've surfed so much in my life that there are other parts of myself that I that I want to explore or grow and 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 living in Los Angeles and having lived in New York for a long time, I just I recognize. I mean, I think I, for me, I, if this is a, a longer story, but like I came to surfing at a young age, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I landed at the beach at Malibu. I watched the 1979 Sunkiss Pro, which, which Buttons Kaluhio Kalani won. And then I was taken by competitive surfing and I started competing, doing all the amateur events, became a pro, went on the tour, did that for five years, and then fell out into surf journalism without really, um, I was very lucky. I sort of backdoored my way in because I knew surfing well, but I, my writing chops and my education was very limited. And I sort of learned as I went along. And as I, as I learned and went along, I had this realization that while surfing is the greatest thing I've ever done and the surf world is this great world, it's also very small. And while I was uh, traveling on the pro tour, my friends would you know, jokingly say, hey, world traveler. And, I, and once I really got perspective, I realized, well, maybe I am a world traveler, but I've existed in this sort of 
hugging the coastlines and chasing the waves and hanging out with, with surfers who are all chasing the same thing. And I had this thought that I need to explore other things. I just realized it was an incredibly lucky life to jump in, to fall into, but I only knew that life and I wanted to know other things. So I, I don't think I'm bored by it. It's almost, I, 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 and I hate the expression guilty pleasure, but I don't, I dis, I, I exercise restraint in that how much surf content I explore. And if I were 22 years old, I might be like scrolling around on everything all day yeah. long, but there's, there are other things I want to put in my head. Yeah. Well, um, along those lines, um, surfing information because of what you've mentioned, social media, um, basically anyone and everyone can kind of give you their insights. Is, is the de democratization of information healthy for surf culture? Is it healthy that we don't have a filter the way you and I grew up with, say, the magazines? Yeah, that's such a great question. I mean, I think I think the one thing I will say, and, and having been a surf journalist for a long time and the editor at Surfing Magazine for a period in the late 90s, um, I think there was a thing where we were so awestruck by the great surfers. I mean, in many ways, the currency, if you're, if you're passionate about surfing and you felt the magic of riding a wave, as I know you have, because I watched close up at the surf ranch. And when you see, when you see someone surf beautifully, they're like larger than life, right? Like I'm still, I still am probably more starstruck around like great surfers than I am around some of the people I've met living in Los Angeles and going to parties in Hollywood, right? Like I, I'm like in awe of, of, of someone that can surf really well. And I think in many ways for a long time, the media was almost creating these like sacred cows of the surf world or these larger than life, you know, gods and never being critical. And I think it's almost like spun the other way. There's almost in, in, some, in some media outlets, there's almost like, let's take the piss out of the pros all the time. Let's, let's almost like, you know, pop, pop the bubble, so to speak. I don't know whether I don't, you know, it's fun. And, and I, and there's, I get a lot of joy out of that. I'm speaking, I'm thinking specifically of beach grit and uh, Derek and Chaz are friends of mine. And I think what they do is totally fun. And I go there all the time and I get a laugh. Um, the, I think the thing that um, now the democracy, the, the democratization just gets to throw around so much stuff. And I don't know, some of it is thought out and some of it's just sort of instantaneous, um, you know, trolling and sort of just keyboard warrior stuff. It goes, mm -hmm. it, it's, it spans the gamut, but I think it's probably better than being so restrained where it was like, God forbid you ever say anything critical about a, a great pro surfer because we all look up to them and you can't do that, you know? Well, you, you bring up a great point and that is this concept of, of surf journalism. I think that journalism, and in its healthiest form, investigates and asks tough questions. And I'm, I'm wondering if surf journalism is actually a thing. Does it exist? Or are we still so incestuous and so um, selfish that we're protecting our own interests from the truth? And, and for example, like there's stories out there, and I'm not even going to mention names. You know who they are, and and this is a great this is a great example right here. I'm afraid to mention the name of a person mm -hmm. because I don't need the drama. I don't yeah. need somebody going on Instagram going, oh, you know. Um, and so, in that light, is surf journalism still a thing? Yeah, that's a. a I think it is. I mean, I think it's there. Um, 
I do a lot of work. I've having written for sort of so many of the publications over the years when going from print to the digital of today. Interestingly, like some of the earliest pieces I did, one of the early journalism pieces I did where I kind of realized what this was, was uh, writing do a Q&A of Wayne Lynch, which went in the Surfer's Journal in, in the first year or two that the Surfer's Journal came out. I think it was 93. So it was 30 years ago. And I continued to work with the Surfer's Journal. And I, I think there there's, um, you know, the, the, A, it still exists as a print media publication. Um, and so the print creates a, a, a sort of limited real estate, so to speak, in terms of how much can be in it. You've got like so many pages that you can fill and the magazine is produced at a certain rate per year. It's not digital where you can, a website where you just keep dumping content on. So I think that there's more, uh, there's more kind of thought and, and um, there's an editorial hand kind of gatekeeping what's going to go in, what's not. And it can't be throwaway because it has to count. And as the Surfer's Journal says, it's more of a book than it is a magazine. So I think there it exists. I mean, I do think that in, in many ways, digital, the digital content has created that because I think it's like a lot of people, much like a Instagram account, people want a lot of traffic. So it's just like keep throwing stuff up and then the, the bar gets lower and the quality gets lower and it's, we just need to keep posting because that will keep people coming. And I think that happens in the various, uh, you know, websites that are surf media outlets. And then I think it happens with people's personal Instagram accounts too. I've done it myself, you know? Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I think of the story you did. You, I believe you wrote a book on Westerly Wendina. Is that her name? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Peter Drone. Now, this is an example, in my opinion, of a great story in surfing because it's it's outside the box. We're talking about a sex change, and it speaks to the human experience. And in fact, Peter could have been a pro tennis player or a golfer or whatever. It didn't really matter. But she was a surfer, and he is a surfer. And mm -hmm. I don't even know where that stands. Uh, I think it's changing. But um I guess my question to you is, are there any great untold stories in surfing? such as that has every story been told like yeah. if i was to say to you what's on your list of great things to write um you know do you have a list of things or do you feel like uh, you know here we go again yeah i think they're there i think i th no i think they're there i mean i think you i you raise a good point and i think again going to sort of there's there's so much content and there are so many outlets to produce content and post content um, that it's less. I mean, I think we probably grew up where you were waiting for the magazines to come out and you were excited about what would be in them. And now there's a daily hit. There's a twice daily hit or, or more. Um, yeah. I no, I think there, I think it's interesting. Like what, what's what, what, like when you're like, Oh, that would be like, I, here, I'll give you an example. I've written mm -hmm. some examples. So can you tell me what? Sure. I think that the Tavarua origin story could be told. And I mean, it's deep and it's dark and it involves stuff and people who, frankly, unless I'm getting paid a lot, I don't need the drama to bring it up. Like, what's the point? What do I want to get banned from Tavarua? Of course not. Mm -hmm. I think that's one where it's like if there was an investigative journalist who wasn't even maybe a surfer, maybe that's the problem. See, is that we're, you and I are too close to it. Yeah. There's there's perhaps a story there. In fact, I know there is. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's worthy of a book or just simply an article, I don't know. 
Right. But that's an example, right? And yeah. There's some examples on the North Shore where it's like, do we really want to go there or let's just let that one lay there? Yeah. Uh, but what about the concept of quitting surfing? When do you quit? When's your last wave? Have you thought about your last wave? I'm so with you there in terms of I often I, th I think to some extent I think about this a lot as to sort of it's like the the big philosophical question what is the good life and I think about that as it relates to being a surfer and a lifelong surfer and and, and at what point is it uh, diminishing returns and at what point is it sort of like you're riding into some place where it's lost its magic I mean in, like I'll, I'll give you an example Rincon was such a big part of my life when I was growing up. And I, when I was at my most serious and at my best as a surfer, I, and I still ride Channel Island surfboards, Al Merricks. And I would drive up to get a board shaped by Al. And if it were the winter, I would, anytime there were waves at Rincon, I'd jump in. And Rincon was, was it like, it was just, I have such good memories. And then I started to realize I'd go to Rincon on a big swell and it would be forecast well in advance. So the parking lot would be packed and I'd feel anxiety before I'd even turned off at Bates Road there. And I, I hit a point where I was like, you know what? I, I think I'd rather preserve these beautiful memories in my head of Rincon. And I would rather, there's like a Rincon of the mind versus the Rincon of disappointment that I might get in the present day. And of course, like I've fallen way, way out of the alpha level of the, of the lineup pecking order. And now I'm a guy just trying to pick up a scrap and getting dropped in on. So I think about that in the larger scheme of um, it's all, it's this thing. And I think this, this relates to what we were saying earlier, I think in, in terms of like, are these surfers untouchable? Can we ever be critical of them? And, and, and is, is, is surf journalism a place to do that? Similarly, like there's not a lot of questioning in surfing is like this. We like, we sort of drink the Kool-Aid with surfing to the extent of like, it is the be all and end all. It's the greatest. And it's the thing that I want to do for the rest of my life until the day I die. And I've definitely stopped and questioned that gone. Is that actually what I want to be doing is, it, you know, there are times I've joked with friends. There's a great writing maxim and it says, I don't like writing. I like having written meaning like it's hard to sit and write for three hours, but the satisfaction at the end of it. And I've turned that into, I don't like surfing. I like having surfed, which is to say that like, a lot of times I'll go out surfing in Los Angeles County and it will be a frustrating experience with a, way too many of my fellow humans that I want to be in the lineup. But I get this sort of afterglow of the saltwater as we do. I'm sure we, you, you and I are probably both buzzing from that thing yesterday. I, uh, right now, I jumped in the water yesterday and I'll, I'll jump in today. But I do sometimes go, should I, sh you know, is there a, a point of hanging it up and is is it this like one dimensional thing that uh, you're almost doing out of ignorance? It's like this habit. It's, it's like someone doing something that may not be good for them, but that's just what they do every day. And I've definitely gone, is that, is there a point that you reach with surfing and is, and is it an aging thing or is it as surfing well, changes? Let me ask you this, is it a self-identification thing? Cause I often look at it like if I don't do, I've identified as this thing for so long. Yeah. And if I stop doing it, have I lost who I am? Is my yeah. self-identification like, you know, oh, Jamie and Scott, those guys are surfers, you know, which yeah. makes me kind of vomit in my mouth a little bit, frankly. Sure. But, no. you know, I self-identify as that. So if I don't do it anymore, am I still that? Yes. No, I love uh, this is close to my heart because I think about this and have thought about it a lot. And through the late in the late nineties, I was the editor at surfing magazine. I lived in Encinitas. I worked every day in San Clemente. It was the, it was kind of like 
there was there were years after, but this was in many ways the tail end. If you look at the fifty years of surf media and surfing and surfer magazine, the print media, the magazines you held in your hand, that was getting toward the tail end. And I had the two years, two and a half years there as the editor, and a couple of things. One, it was it was a, it was a great experience in many ways, and I love the people I work with. It was a dis- disillusioning experience in the sense of it made me realize where. Uh, Surfing had gotten in terms of the advertisers bullying around the editorial, and I didn't like that. I, I was a purist. Um, and so when I finally decided I was going to leave my job, I thought, I need to experience something new. I'm serious as a writer. I've got to get away from surfing. And I moved to New York. And I ended up living in New York for about 11 years, on and off. I would come back to California. I wrote some books about surfing during that time. Uh, my late wife was from Brazil. I spent, I'd surf a lot when I was in Brazil. So I didn't, it wasn't like I gave up surfing, but I got distance and I met a lot of people outside of the surf world, which I was so grateful for because honestly, my experience was so limited. I had friends around the world, but they were all surf bros. You know, there was like a, a certain uh, unification or homogenization of all these people. I will say this, and it's, this is, I don't mean to like throw, throw darkness into a fun conversation. My, my wife died suddenly in 2013. It was the, the, the I, I was I was an absolute mess. I was as close to finding a tall building and jumping off it as I've ever been in my life, and uh, and I moved back to LA because New York was a little too you know hard edged for me at that time, and I needed to be close to my family and I needed to be close to the ocean, and nothing really felt good to me. And I had a really good friend who who basically said, "Let's go surfing," and I started just kind of following him every afternoon into the water. And surfing was the one thing that felt good. And I thought about this and I've written about this, but it was, it was this thing where I almost had the same experience, the same way, like I think surfing saved me in high school when I was hitting out adole- or junior high school, when I was hitting adolescence and I was full of all this insecurity and wondering who the hell I was in the world and feeling things that were uncomfortable and I could go surfing and it felt great and I could almost escape myself. I felt that again when I was in deep grief. So I have like I have this like renewed love of surfing in in this in the most I don't know in, in a very simplistic way, which is just simply like jump in that ocean because it just makes you feel better. That's it's as simple as that. Well, it's interesting because you bring up a couple of things. You bring up one which is um, is like an, is surfing an escapism for me. In other words, do I go there to get away from myself? Yeah. And or do I actually discover myself? Like yeah. I think there's both, right? I think it's a weird dichotomy. And and I often ask people like why is, you know people will ask us right why is so surfing so great you know and then you can sort of give the trite answer oh you know you, you ride this thing and it came, comes from way far away but I'm of the belief now as I get older that and I and this also makes me throw up in my mouth a little bit but surfing is a spiritual experience much like going on a hike in Yosemite you're entering this natural nature state and. You're with dolphins and it doesn't matter what the waves are like. You're pretty stoked when you get out. Yes. No, I, I, I very much agree with you. And I, um, I think living in LA and, and I live in Malibu, which is, which is beautiful, but you know, I've lived in say Venice where it's a little bit more of a kind of, it's more urban, it's more dense. It's there's, there's more kind of anxiety. And then you, you, you cross the sand and you jump in the water and that, and there's this, it, everything changes the moment you 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 turn your back on this on this sort of um, density, the city. Um, and I've ex- experienced that when I lived in New York. I mean, I would 
living in the city, I would go a month, let's say, of not even seeing the ocean. And then I would go surfing. And as soon as I got to look at the horizon, before I'd even gotten in the water, some like anxiety levels would just drop. So yeah, I think all that is great. And I think, but I do think it can be all those things. I mean, I love what you, I, what you said is, is so great. And I relate to that a lot, which is it's um, it, it can be both escapist and it can be self-discovery at the same time. And it can be um, a way to work things through. I mean, I think for myself, uh, living now for the last 10 years in Los Angeles and, and writing for my supper, so to speak, I'm always, I've always got something I'm writing, which I'm so grateful for. And I will, you know, discipline myself as much as I can to stay in the chair, so to speak, or at the desk and write. And then my kind of, um, I will balance it by jumping in the ocean. And there's a thing that happens a lot where as soon as I get, I'll go surfing and the thing the thing I'm trying to write, and, and, and sometimes it's real serious personal essay memoir stuff where I'm kind of digging and asking these very same questions we're talking about, they will be sort of solved in the water. It'll be this thing of like, by being out in the water, I almost let, get, there's something really creative. And I, it's, it sounds like a, a, like a buzzword or something, an advertising line, but I've said to friends, like what, what the golf course is to doctors and lawyers, uh, surfing is to a lot of creative people. And I think we've seen a lot of artists, musicians, writers, et cetera, find surfing and really love it. And I think there is something for, there's something, uh, there's like a parallel of being, of the creativity, of creativity and as a writer and as an artist, I've, I, I think there's this thing of like, and it's a Buddhist concept of there's no ground beneath your feet, that ground, that, that there's groundlessness, right? We have this idea that we're standing on something solid. It's not. And I think when you go in the water, it's, that's, uh, that's sort of represented in a, in a very real way. And I think for, uh, you know, I go surfing here in Malibu, I see Chris Martin of, of Coldplay out in the water. And, and I know he makes music and I'm thinking, well, he's probably like working on a record and writing a song and being out in that water with everything swirling around, I'm sure that's sparking things. And I think um, that goes for a lot of people that are working in, in that place where there's no right or no wrong in your, you're trying to find something, you know? Yeah. And, and in fact, yesterday afternoon, I was like, oh, I'm doing an interview with Jamie tomorrow. And I was like, I got to come up with some questions. And at some point I just went surfing and a lot of stuff started to flow. Yes. Through that process. Yeah. I don't think you mentioned dopamine. And um, I think it's not widely reported or not perhaps, I don't know, maybe it is thought about, but I always, people ask me about surfing. I go, well, one of the things is, when we go in the ocean, we are going into the food chain so that when we get out, we don't realize it. I think it's subconscious or unconscious, but we've survived. You know what I mean? Like yeah. on the golf course, you're not entering the food chain, you know? Yeah. But the fact that we go into the water and, and we could, and it's, although it's, you know, it's pretty rare, but fact is we could get eaten. And yeah. I don't know if there's something subliminal there or subconscious there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Oh, did you want? No, I was just going to comment. No, I think I, I I try not to think about that one too much, quite honestly, because I go in the water most every day, <laughs> and yeah. there's that that is always there in the back of my head. But the other thing with relation to dopamine is, I think um, I've been jumping in every day. I did this thing where I've gotten really into hot yoga, and I and I really love it. And in many ways, that's been a thing where if the surf is too crowded or not appealing, and I don't feel like doing it, it's sort of this exploring this new thing. Although I've done yoga for a long time now. And I was at my, the yoga studio I go to the other day and 
at the end of every month, they do this thing called the 30 day challenge. And, and there's a calendar for the, the upcoming month to do 30 days of consecutive yoga every day. You'll feel great. You put a star up and you, and you, and you log that in. And I looked at it and I thought, you know what? The 30 day challenge, I'm going to do the 30 day challenge, but I'm not going to do it here at the yoga studio. I'm going to do it in the ocean because I live close enough to why, like, why don't I get in the water every single day? So what, uh, so it, it slowly turned into an advertising uh, tagline, and that is um, people do dry January. I'm doing wet June. I'm going in the water every day for wet June. So it's, uh, we're at the end of the month. Today's the 29th. I've gone 29 consecutive days. I started wearing a wetsuit. And that, the more I learned about cold water immersion, the more I learned about the dopamine levels rising and how it's like this sort of antidepressant. And I really feel that. I mean, I jump in the water every day now without a wetsuit. It's not that cold. It's not, it's not doing like the ice bath kind of thing, but it's, yeah. you know, 62 and then the wind is onshore and I often go in in the afternoon. So it's been blowing and it feels colder than 62, but that thing that in a very raw way, this is like, I've abandoned the surfboard, but I'm still doing the thing that I've always loved. And, and by going in the ocean, I just feel so much better. Yeah. So you're, you're entering the ocean every day without a wetsuit as just a, 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 a challenge that you're doing a 30 day challenge yeah and it may or may not be with a board you're just getting wet most of the time it's with it, the majority i actually almost all these days have been without a board and sometimes i'll put on fins and i have a hand plane a oh. danny hess beautifully hand-shaped hand plane but mm. sometimes the way there's not even anything to body surf because there's not a lot of sand so it's just a shore break so yeah. i just jump in but but just being in the water has been really really nice yeah yeah, I think that's a big part of it, right? I spoke with Bing Copeland about this a while ago. And, and, you know, he surfed until he was, until it really, he couldn't do it anymore. And he told me, he just goes, one day, I just, I remember I rode, I, he was bellyboarding at the time. He was like 90 or whatever. He's probably 85. And he rode up onto the beach and just said, that's it. You know, like, that's my last wave. And, and he, he said, Scott, I don't miss it at all. I did it for 70 years, you know, like, it, it's, it's all good. And so yeah. I found that kind of, relieving i guess yeah <laughs> yes when you're hiring for a small business you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role and there's no faster or effective way than through linkedin jobs your time and capital are precious and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references. And now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.
What about pro surfing? You're a pro surfer. You're a former pro surfer. You were on the tour for five years or more. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on the current state of professional surfing? It do you mean the the kind of standard of high performance, or do you mean surf the pro surfing? The, 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 I mean, what are your thoughts? What when I say, um, what are your thoughts on professional competitive surfing? Do you watch it? Are you actively engaged? Do you are you are you out of is your are you have you demoed out of? Are, is it not in your wheelhouse? No, I still watch. You know, I I, I realize, and I just I it's a thing. It's a thing that I do to myself. It's my own hang up. But I feel like I need to be working and writing every day. And, and I realize that um, watching watching a pro surfing event, it's not like watching a basketball game. It's like it's your day, you know, and it's a, several days. And then there's and then there's the thing of like today. I know right now that the contest is off in Rio. In, in Brazil. And um, so I checked in. So there's almost like an anxiety where it's just, a, it's sometimes it's like this distraction that I sometimes have to just shove away and go, I'm, I can't be watching surf contests all day long. Um, okay. However, when I tune in, I always like it. I mean, I don't know. It, it, it feels very different to surfing is just, it's changed so much. And, and as things do, and as it does, and I try to just be just, just sort of allow it to change, but there, but of course there are things that don't, that feel, I mean, I think the time that I was on tour, which was the ladies in the early nineties, as I said earlier, um, there was surfing was almost in the middle. Of, it was in, in the midst of a transformation and a sort of identity crisis. And I feel like I've jokingly said that like when I was a, a pro surfer, at that time, the great tennis player was Yvonne Lendl, who was very professional. And I feel like I had Iggy Pop on one shoulder and Yvonne Lendl on the other, which is to say <laughs> that like there was one part of it where it was still this like sexy rock and roll lifestyle and you party and and like the idea that some sponsor's paying for you to go around the world. Um, why would you miss going out that night and meeting people and you know, throwing yourself into it? And then and then at that time there was also this thing of like, let's button it up, and you had Tom Kern, the first the first year I joined the tour, Tom Kern won his first world title. And Tom was hyper professional. You know, he was he married very young. He's married at this time, and he was an athlete. So I I kind of like I, I felt like I was being pulled between these two things where there was a lot of guys I knew who were there for the Brad Gerlock on one shoulder and Tom Kern on the other. Yeah. No, exactly. Brad was a great friend and we, he was so much fun. And honestly, looking back now. I mean, I think there were some disciplinary things that I got from the, the, the athletic professional side, but I also think that the, the Brad Gerlachs, uh, the people that were like, hey, we're in France, we got to do everything. We've, well, let's find a day, we'll stop through Paris and we'll go to the Louvre and we'll, you know, there was this thing of like, let's drink it all up, let's soak it all in. And I'm glad for that experience because I think now there's much more of the blinders on athlete thing and there's more at stake. And there's families being fed and there's mortgages being paid for multiple homes. And I think, um, ha has it stripped out some of its character? Yes, for sure. Has it, uh, are, I mean, I think like in, you've gotten like the performance levels have gone up, but maybe the personalities have diminished slightly. And I don't mean that disparagingly, but I think that in the service of being a great athlete, you're, um, it becomes more no nonsense. Whereas I think the time I was at it and Brad Gerlach being a great example, your charisma was part of your selling point. Yeah. So on that note, I mean, I think I'm as interested in a lot of the people who are sort of away from the world tour and they're free surfers. Like I think of like a, a Jamie O'Brien or a Mason Hose where they're doing some interest, different thing that really you get their personality coming through. 
yeah. and they're not going the straight route of competition because the competitions are so high stakes now that it's they're they're like the athletes are like machines yeah yeah that's true right there's just too much not too much but it's just more professional than it once yeah. was yeah can you um why don't we get into your book, Jamie? Give me a synopsis sure. of your recent book, The Birth of the Endless Summer, A Surf Odyssey. What's it all about? So it started, Richard Yellen is a filmmaker who made a film called The Birth of the Endless Summer. And it's about Dick Metz, who went around the world before the actual Endless Summer was made. And he was friends with Bruce Brown. And he had mentioned Bruce's beauties, Cape St. Francis. And so The Birth of the Endless Summer is referring to the fact that this, this story had actually started before the time that we know it, which is The Endless Summer. So Richard had, Richard's made the film, sent me the film to look at, said, let's talk about doing a book. And I, the film was fabulous. It instantly spoke to me. And I thought, this is great. And this is a story that I'm really interested in and, and um, I can explore because I watched The Endless Summer as a young man. And I think... Uh, I talk about this in the book, but it really sort of laid down the blueprint for what it means to be a surfer, what we're supposed to do as surfers, how we evolve as surfers, and it's go out and experience things. And I didn't, uh, I guess I didn't really plan it, although I, I chased after, you know, competitive glory, and that led me to going around the world because that's how the world tour works, and I got to surf the great waves of the world. Um, but upon reflection, I thought, you know, after, after I'd retired from pro surfing, I realized, wow, it was really, it wasn't about trying to win the contest. It was about all those experiences. So that is in the book. Um, it's a nonfiction book. It, there's an element of sort of memoir, personal essay, but it's mostly a research book where I interviewed people about their experiences. And um, the book was its own kind of odyssey just in, in talking to people. But uh, yeah, it was lots of fun to write. Yeah. And Dick Metz is, is the character. I know Dick well. He's a dear friend of mine. And um, and he's a great storyteller. And he's he's probably a wonderful subject. Dick blew me away. I, I went to see him at his place in Laguna Beach. And Dick's in his 90s. And his just simply watching him talk in his hands. And and I thought, I, I was like, he, he, I, 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 I thought, I can't believe... Um, how sort of young at heart this guy is. And at one point we were chatting about his travels and he did, he, he had like an epic odyssey, which is depicted in the film Birth of the Endless Summer. Um, and at one point his phone rang and he grabbed the phone and he, it was a friend that wanted him to go to dinner that night. And it seemed like it was like down the street. He was probably going to walk to dinner. It may have been happy hour. I can't remember. But I remember thinking like Dick's having this chat and joking with his friend on the phone about whether or not he's going to make it to dinner and 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 the kind of like inside jokes that were being thrown around i was i thought to myself this is sort of how i was in my mid-20s and <laughs> dick is doing this in his 90s um so yeah it was, it was really fun talking to him i mean those are the things where i realize how lucky we are as surfers to be part of this world it really inspired yeah and, and you know in many ways dick metz sort of he he represents to me that there are still some great stories to be told you know, Absolutely. And I think of guys like Dick who, you know, it, this guy's got backstory that's important to the entire, to all of our surf culture, you know? Yeah. And yes, really, he, he was just sort of discovered, you know, I mean, people that knew, knew, but nobody was willing to excavate the story until it occurred. And I, I'm sure that there are other people like that, you know? Um, yes. And, I, you know, I'm sure you've chewed on it a bit too. Tell me about this though. Because 
I agree with you that um, the endless summer was sort of like, hey, go discover your perfect way, you know, and and I think Sam George once told me that the very first issue of Surfer Magazine, John Severson's magazine, the very first issue, somewhere it was stated loudly, it was either on the fold or on the back cover or something, where he said something along the lines of every surfer should go out and search and find their perfect wave. Mm-hmm. And Sam's take on that was, you know what, this is what's led us down this, this path of anxiety of, of, um, of sort of wanting to hoard resources. Like if, if we had never been told that we had to go find a perfect wave, if, if in fact on the back of surfer magazine just said, Hey, go surf. Doesn't matter what the waves are like, you're going to be stoked. Mm-hmm. Our whole our whole direction perhaps may have changed, but because Severson had this sort of um, you know broad statement, and then the endless summer backed it up with this "go find the perfect way of travel around the world and, and search for perfect waves." It sort of created uh, this path for us that that it could be argued isn't really healthy. What are your thoughts yeah. on? No, I think that's so interesting. I mean, that, that I, my instant thought is it's similar to uh, advertising uh, capitalism. Uh, you know, we're, there's this, there's, we're bombarded every day with this sense of maybe we're, we're not enough and we need this thing, right? Um, and these things are going to improve our lives. And it's rarely, I mean, it almost goes against the capitalist system to say like, you're perfect the way you are and you need nothing. You know, I do a lot, I found my way to a lot of Buddhist studies and a lot of the Buddhist studies are really about um, everything is okay. You're perfectly fine the way you are. That's It's more about accepting that versus reaching and grasping for something else. And I think I've never really thought of it in that context, um, but I think that's fascinating. I don't know, you know, I grew up, my earliest days of surfing was Santa Monica State Beach Bay Street, which is, which I look at it now and I, and I say this, uh, this is un- unfair to God, Mother Ocean, whoever, what a waste of coastline. It's, it's the worst beach break. And I know you, the general <laughs> area, I've lived near where you live, and you drive along the coastline, and there's a lot of fun waves. There's almost, there's very little sort of wasted coastline in the North County stretch. Yeah. There's always a fun wave. Torrey Pines, there's a fun little peak. Yeah. Oceanside stretch, there's a fun little peak. That stretch that I'm referring to, which is basically from Marina del Rey up to Sunset or Topanga, there's really not much meaningful surf. So I think even if the John Severson thing never got into my head or the Endless Summer never got into my head, the idea that it's out there, I think I would have, I would have, my surfing skills would have exceeded the tiny knee-high closeouts that I was supposed to ride every day if I didn't leave my place. And I, so I think I, it would have happened on its own. But it's a fascinating idea that, and I and I love Sam for sort of questioning that. Yeah, I would agree with you that that uh, with or without this blanket statement, I think us as surfers, we're just naturally going to go to where the conditions provide better surf. And with that being the case, we're then constantly on the search for something similar to that. And so perhaps it's a bit of a stretch the hypo- the hypothesis. Um, now, the movie and your book both showcase that surfers are enthralled by discovery that surfers are inherently adventurous um but i'm going to suggest to you that i'm really just a tourist like there's not much adventure in me and i think for the most part 99 percent of surfers have become tourists like we're not packing up a, a single fin with a backpack and going to pet a calco like uh-huh. you know you know what i mean like yeah. those guys did in the 70s and so the adventure is taken away are there 
are there any more adventurers? Like, can you think of like, what does it mean to be a surf adventurer versus just, I'm going to a surf resort. I'm going to, you know. Yeah, that is, that, that is something I think about. Um, I think it's really interesting that there's a, there's, I remember looking at, I get this email every morning uh, from the New York Times and it's about California. I think it's called California Today. I'm not even sure of the title, but I read it. Yeah. Yeah. And they do this thing where um, a lot of it's sort of summarizing the Golden State and getting into, or not summarizing, but you know, showcasing the, the Golden State. And they'll do this thing where it'll be um, you know, favorite secret beach. And it will have someone talk about their favorite secret beach. And I think to myself, the moment that they actually come out with that, it's no longer secret. Do, no, does no one see how ridiculous and ironic this is? This is, And I kind of feel there's something similar in terms of um, surfing. And I think right now, it's really interesting because we, we've, we've reached this point where um, local is, the, uh, the ter territorialism has been really coming to question. And surfing's had localism for a long, long time. There's always been that thing. Uh, as a guy who grew up in the Valley, I'm, I'm inherently anti-localism because I was sort of, you know, try, I was coming across that from the very, my earliest memories, even before I was surfing skateboarding, I would skate a place in Santa Monica and it was not cool to say you were from the Valley. So I was told to lie and say, I live and go to such and such school. Um, but I do think there's ever, you know, there's, there's guides to everywhere. So I don't know. I think there's definitely stuff out there to be explored, but I feel like the, uh, the untrodden pass is, is, has, has, has smooth pavement over it now, you know? Well, let me ask you this. If, if there are people that are still surf adventurers, but they document it for the sake of exploitation and or say like being in the New York Times, California Today newsletter, is it really adventure? Yeah. Or is it something else? In other words, I, I have this vision of there's somebody, there's somebody right now that's like purposely not telling anyone anything that they're doing. And I'm secretly high-fiving them if they exist. I don't yes. know. And um, is there that person? Or if I go out and say, scour some Caribbean coastline in northern wherever and find some wave and then and, and go, oh, my God, this is great. Call everyone, get Stab Magazine there and blah, blah, blah. And, exploit the crap out of it. Am I really an adventurer? Yeah. There, that I, and that's the world we exist in now. And I think social media has definitely fed that. And there's a, you wonder what people's motivations are. I mean, you see the everything so much, I, so much seems like a caricature of, of itself. So the, like, you know, the traveling, the wandering surfer that's going to the far reaches is maybe doing a TV show about it or, posting about it, write, writing, you know, doing selfies of it and, and, and promoting it. And so is the motivation truly, as you say, to get, to get out there and discover these places or is the motivation to, you know, keep the, the, is, is the eyeballs on that person is the attention, the motivation um, and the attention might lead to sponsors and it might perpetuate that thing, which is something I relate to. I mean, I think about like, there's so, so much of, uh, of, surfing and the idea of going out to these far reach, you know, far flung locales is there is like, at least for me, it, coming through the pro surfing ranks, it, it was like a Faustian bargain. It was sort of like, okay, put a bunch of stickers on your surfboard, become like this joke in the, and we, I didn't think of it as a joke back then, but when I look at a lot of the 80s surf magazines that I was in, 
and the ad, quick, the quick servers ads that I appear in, it's, it's like, uh, it's almost laughable when I look at myself. But did I get to go out and go around the world? Yes. Did that uh, educate me and open me up to these things that are really valuable that are in this book that I just wrote? Absolutely. So I, you know, it was, it was this deal. There was, it was this compromise. And I think that goes on a lot today. There's just so many, there's so much, there's so many more channels to promote that thing. And if you're not doing it through a magazine or a website, you can do it through your own social media channel. And that will be a way of put, you know, putting your, promoting yourself. Yeah. Um, so the self-promotion element is huge. And I think you're right. And I think that secret high five, there are those people out there. And I think the beauty is we don't know about them. It's like yeah. when a tree falls in the forest, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I secretly, I secretly want to be told about their story, but I don't want anyone else to know about it. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. I'd like to go there. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, um, tell me a little bit about your book. Like you sent me some stuff about how to access your book. Um, I guess it's available in audio. Did you do the audio? No, Rob Machado did the audio, which, which was, I was thrilled that he did honor that he did. And he read the whole thing. That's cool. I yeah. That's great. Yeah. And Rob features in the book and he tells a really heartfelt story of his uh, time traveling through Indonesia. Um, the book is available. The book is, is published by Scribd and it's available at Scribd.com um, at, and then the Instagram account at birth of the endless summer. Lot, there's a lot of information to be found there for the book and the film. And um yeah, it was, it was Nathan Fletcher's in it, Dick Metz is in it, as we said, Rob Machado's in it, Strider Wasilewski's in it, Cassie Mayador is in it, uh, William Finnegan is in it, and um, it was a lot of fun. William Finnegan. Is William Finnegan the last, I almost feel like after his book came out, nothing more can be said about surfing. Like, that's uh -huh. it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, everything else... Unless you and I dig up some of these stories about people we don't really want to dig up, it feels like that's, you know, like there's nothing more to be said. That's, I don't know why I have that feeling about it. I just feel like that's it. I'm on to some other topic. Right. Yeah. Uh, Bill Finnegan has uh, become a friend. I, I got to know him when I lived in New York and he, he he's one of my heroes. He, he is, he's, um, I've learned so much from him. I was friends with him as he was writing the book. I don't think he knew that he was writing a book that would be so, you know, have lead, win a Pulitzer Prize and, and have such a big impact. Um, and I think, yeah, he, I think he, he, he describes a really golden period in surfing and his own odyssey through it, obviously. Um, and that is that, you know, that, that time is long past um, yeah. Yeah. in terms of the world being open in that way, those experiences for good or bad. Um, but I do think, I mean, I think, I don't know. It's, it, I, I think that there's probably that's those that's happening right now. We, and it's just a, we may need the time to see what it is, but. Uh, Who's the last great adventurer? Who's the last great surf discoverer? Or do we not know the answer to that question? Yeah, I come to Timmy Turner, for instance. I'm like, oh, maybe it's Timmy Turner because he yeah. went on some island in India. Yeah, but you know, did he really need to do that? No, he could have just gone on a boat and lived in the Mentawais and been fine. You know? Yeah, you know, know. Who I, you know who I really like a lot is Torn Martin. Yes, you know, 
And he, first of all, I love to watch him surf. And he seems like he's doing a really cool thing. And he travels around with his girlfriend and he, Sincere. he's on the, he's on a, he's sailing sometimes. I mean, there's something really grassroots and, and uh, raw and pure and simple about it. And he seems like he's, his moral compass is in the right place with it all. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's out there. And I think, I, I think of it, it's, it's, um, I mean, here's the thing. And I say this as someone who's admired William Finnegan's writing and him as a person for many, many years, he was able to see, he was able to shape into a story, this his own experience, but also this time so well. And I think that's probably happening right now. It's just that time was, was always there. It was Finnegan who was, who was, clever enough to shape it into the story that that resonates with so many of us um right. i think that thing is happening right now it's just how to shape it in that way and what might be uh what what there might be a tinge of disillusionment as we are talking about and i there when i when i talk about do i pay attention to this wsl yes i do i love watching the high performance does it feel like the surf world that i know and love no it feels like it's doing something different than it was it feels more mainstream corporate it feels like there's it's it's being moved and it feels more like the NFL than it does in this fringe thing that I came to. That doesn't mean it's dead or over. And that doesn't mean that those stories aren't still to be told. Maybe in the telling of that story is, is mentioning all those things and navigating those things. Are, are the great you know, spots around the world all discovered and there's nowhere new? Um, in the sense of, in the way in which we think about it, in the pioneering of the landing on some island in, in, in Fiji or uh, Indonesia, that may be gone, but there's probably a new version of that in some way. There's probably a new way of navigating our digital social media infused world where you do find that secret place in your head. And it may be an internal thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we're just, I almost feel like um, I'm just, we're out of context, context. Like I'm just, I'm maybe my age, I'm just, maybe I've got too much it used to be way better back in the day, bro, kind of vibe yeah. rather than being open-minded to, hey, of course, throughout the eons, there's been new stories of of stuff that's sincere and authentic and legitimate. It's just that you're a salty old man who's telling me to get off your lawn. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think I, it's funny. My, I grew up surfing with my brother who's a year older than me, and we've talked about this. And I had this realization I think if you've surfed for say more than 30 years, um, whatever time in history, you would watch surfing grow in, in, to, to some extent, you'd watch board design change. You would maybe feel moments of being left behind. So where you might've been the alpha dog at age 18, you're no longer the age, the alpha dog at 38 or 40. And it's so, it opens up the door to, to be grumbling and to be bitter and to be disappointed in it all and it's so it's like i see that and i believe me i'm not immune to it and i have plenty of that myself but i'm also aware of like that is not a good place to be um i had a great experience early on when i when i first started writing at for surfing magazine i uh the movie big wednesday was always a big deal to me and it, it, and and as i grew kind of as i was like entering my late 20s i realized this movie told these epic stories that were so important and john millius kind of nailed what it is to be an aging surfing and the movie starts with these guys at the, like the height of their youth and then adulthood hits them and they're not performing so well or they're trying to navigate um i wrote an essay about the book 
I went to the surfing magazine in San Clemente one day and there was a little note from me and it was from a guy at Sony Studios who said, John Milius wants to talk to you. All the, uh, long story short, I met with John Milius. I spent about four or six months meeting with him regularly, trying to make a big Wednesday two for television. And I got to spend a lot of time with Milius and he was brilliant. And I remember at one point he smoked cigars <laughs> it's, we'd sit on the rooftop and, and it was like a classic. It was like that. Was movie. he in his house in upstate New York? No, no, he was in LA. He uh -huh. lived in uh, Santa Monica Pacific Palisades, but his studio was right alongside the 405 freeway, right off Sunset Boulevard. Right. And he would go, we would go up to the roof and we would like have these meetings where I'd be scribbling notes. And then he would just sort of pontificate and, and kind of <laughs> muse. And it was yeah. really, I felt like I was 26 years old. I was thrilled to be in the company of this guy who was like sh imparting this wisdom. And one of the things he says to me, he was going on and on. He was talking about he and Francis Ford Coppola, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg and Millis. Yeah. They all went through USC film school together. And those I know, guys, I know this story. Well, let you me know the story real quick. Sure. Milius narrated a documentary film that I did. So I spent time with John, so I can totally relate to what you're saying now. Go oh, ahead. I love it. Okay, I'll tell my story and then I want to hear yours. But well, mine's the same as yours. I know the, I know what you're going to say and it's a great story. Please continue. Okay. okay, well, I was 26 years old. I was enthralled in awe of him and he was going on and on. And I remember him going on and on about something. His arms were flying. He had the cigar in his hand and he goes, he goes, Jamie, whatever you do, never become bitter. Bitterness is the bile of life. And those tendrils that come out of your head that bring in the new, they close up and it doesn't come in anymore. And I remember... It, it landed on me hard, but I was also too young to know any hint of bitterness because it was all in front of me at that time. And I thought, I'm in the company of Milius. I'm going to be a, a superstar writer. I'm going to be a screenwriter. I'm going to be writing films. I'm going to be living, you know, making lots of money. Only later in my life did I understand what he was saying. And I think um, it is a thing, whatever you do, and I don't, I don't think this is exclusive to surfing, but I think that there's just a thing of getting older where it's really easy to fall into a sort of bitterness and like the world's falling apart and all those cliches. But I, I think uh, thinking about Millis, I almost think he, to some extent he was saying that for himself. It was like he was, he was reminding himself not to become bitter because Spielberg, George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola had much bigger careers than John ever did. John had a great career and he was hugely respected. But in any case, that always stayed with me. And I think about that. If I drive to Malibu later this afternoon and I pull up and I look at first point and it's packed and I'm like, God, this sucks. I'm not going to paddle out. I'm like, don't, don't let that voice take hold. You know. Yeah. Um, tell me your John stories. What a, what an amazing guy. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I spent some time with him um, at his place in upstate New York, and he took me to gun shops and showed me rifles, and you know, it was just I was just like you. I was just kind of sitting there in awe of the moment that he would even. Um, agree to be the narrator for this film and that we went into a studio and he did the narration and in, in, actually in Woodstock, New York. And, and, you know, he told the story about the famous story that's been told about how they all were going to have a piece of each other's first movie. And of course, Lucas was, I think, American Graffiti and um, um, Spielberg's was Jaws, I believe. And, and, of, and of course, Big Wednesday was um, John's. And so, you know, Lucas and Spielberg weren't too happy with it because they didn't get too much money from John. Right, right. That's the gist of it. I, I, I butchered it, but that's the story. Yeah. Been told before or better by other people. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Hey, um, look, one more time before we go. Look, we've said a lot. Um, I, I'm a firm believer that if 
that if neon fashion comes back, it's going to be led by you, Jamie. I think. <laughs> All of the cool surf photos I see of you from 1985. Uh, I love it, man. And you're so much fun to talk to. I really appreciate it. Now, Scrib is S-C-R-I-B-D. Scribd yep. is where you can find uh, The Birth of the Endless Summer, a Surf Odyssey, your book. It's it's available in audio. It's an ebook form. Um, and you can go there, Scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D is uh, the place to get this this wonderful book about surf discovery and uh, the birth of the endless summer. Yeah, thanks. And and it's also, there's the film as well on that. And at, at birth of the endless summer, there's information about the screenings of the film and and also where to get the book. And um, yeah, I thank you so much. It's so fun talking to you as well, Scott. And I, I, I have such good memories of that wave. <laughs> it's funny. We can talk about all this growing older and, and evolving stuff, but you know what? J just like z jumping on a wave and, and I can see it so clearly in my mind. You just flew across this wave backhand in the pocket. <laughs> That's sweet of you. Thanks so much for saying that. And, and I look forward to seeing you again sometime soon. Hopefully it's been a long time and hopefully we can hook up. Maybe you'll come down to the boardroom show. I'd, I would love it if I could see you there and um, that'd be fun in October in Del Mar. Yes, I will try to make that. Okay, buddy. Thanks so much, Jamie. I appreciate it, bud. Thank you, Scott.
You know very well 